0: good to see all of you I missed seeing all of you last week last Sunday but I'm glad we're back together this Sunday Um, so awesome last week to be out and about in the community uh, pouring into our uh, local schools and uh, I think it was a really cool and practical way for us to be salt and light don't you think yeah, it was pretty awesome. Uh, I went into that Sunday like particularly excited and happy uh, because I don't know if you remember this or if you have blocked this out of your memory like nine days ago uh, when my Chicago Bears, like absolutely, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. My Chicago Bears absolutely decimated your Seattle Seahawks. Folks, folks, it doesn't matter that it's preseason. It happened, OK? L- let me tell you they did not look good okay they did not look good and so there is no uncertainty about how the Seahawks are gonna play this year all right it's gonna be bad and so as your as your pastor let me just encourage you and tell you if you find yourself on a Sunday morning and you're like should I go to church or should I watch this 10 a.m. game come to church okay (laughs) your 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 heart your spirit your mental health you will thank me later trust me okay trust me here's what I can say though while your football team might be worse than my football team this year your hot dog you know this hot dog with the cream cheese and the onions and the sriracha sauce it's delicious okay this would be sacrilegious in Chicago if my friends and family heard this they would disown me but this is the win I can give you this morning okay awesome hot dog (laughs) if you have your Bibles you can go and get those out now Um, we're gonna be back in the Sermon on the Mount we'll be in Matthew chapter 5 verses 38 through 42 today Um, we are in week uh, three of a four-week series uh, looking at some really key relevant teachings from Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount uh, because I believe that the Sermon on the Mount is the epicenter it's the core for how we as the people of God are called to enter into the life of God and into the love of Jesus and experience that life and experience that love, and not just simply for our own personal growth and gain, but so that we would be able to take that life, that we would be able to take that love into our homes, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, here into our church with our friends, with our family members, with our enemies, and that we would begin to see the Spirit of God move in power and that we would see the kingdom of God come here on earth as it is in heaven. And a few weeks ago, we looked and were challenged by Jesus' teaching, his call on us to be peacemakers, to go out into the world and to contend on others' behalf, not just for uh, the absence of conflict, but true peace, uh, what Jesus would have called true shalom, that is contending on others' behalf for their harmony and their wholeness and their healing in their relationship with God and with others. And let me just tell you, I have been so encouraged. So encouraged by some of the stories I've heard some of you share with me uh, of your boldness and obedience to engage in relationship and and be a peacemaking agent. And they they haven't been these like massive world-changing things, but I know for us it's oftentimes very scary to enter into those places and those spaces of conflict. And I've been so encouraged to hear those stories. And then the next week we uh, were challenged by Jesus' uh, teaching uh, to be salt and light. And we learn the value that he gives us as salt and light and that he sends us out to draw out the best in others and, and to work against the brokenness and the corruption and the decay in this world. And this week, um, we, have a, we have another pretty challenging lesson. I would say if, if you're to look at the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, what we're looking at today might be the most challenging word from Jesus in all of it. In fact, John Stott, he's this this Bible scholar, this, this pastor from England, he says this about this particular passage that we're looking at today. He says that nowhere is the challenge of the sermon greater. Nowhere is the distinctiveness of the Christian counterculture more obvious Nowhere is our need of the power of the Holy Spirit, whose first fruit is love, more compelling. And after spending the past week in this passage, I wholeheartedly agree with him. And so here it is, Matthew 5, verse 38, Jesus teaching. He says this. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the evildoer. But whoever strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other to him as well. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your coat also. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you and do not reject the one who wants to borrow from you. So are you ready for this? If you're ready, say I'm ready okay Um, I I think deep down inside all of us is this desire when we see that something is broken or or hurting in the world or or wrong in the world we want to see that thing made right some of us more than others this is a a burning desire in us when we see that something is wrong in the world we want to make it right but 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 this is especially true listen this is especially true when something bad happens to us yeah When when we are the ones who are wronged, right? I remember um, Carrie and I, we were in our first year of marriage and we were living in Chicago. We were both still at school. And I remember on this particular day, I was going about the city, running some errands, and I happened upon this parking lot where these guys were hanging out outside their work van. And being the naive 21-year-old guy I was at the time, uh, they called me over and I went over to this van. And two or three guys they're really nice guys charismatic guys and on the side of their van was like this electronic dealer kind of logo on the side and they proceeded to tell me uh, that was what was inside their van uh, were these surround sound speakers and that their manager had ordered these speakers and they were delivered too many speakers and that because they had all these speakers the manager said hey how about you just try to go out on the street and sell them and get what you can for them Sounds legit, right? (laughs) Well, I I seemingly thought so for some reason, because after being told that these speakers were commercial grade, that they were the best of the best, and after holding one of the speakers, and it was particularly heavy, and they said that the heaviness is a telltale sign that it's quality, (laughs) I kid you not, they pivoted and said, hey, we're just looking to get $200 a piece for these speakers. But because we like you. We'll give it to you for 100 And I said, well, all I have on me right now is $50, and apparently that was enough because they gave me those speakers, and they went on their way, and I went on my way, and I went home excited because I thought to myself, this is going to be great. And I went home, and I opened up the box, and I took the speakers out, and I hooked them up to the TV, and I set them up, and I ran all the wires, and I sat down, and I turned the volume up, and I turned the TV on, and I expected to be blown away by this high-quality, commercial-grade audio, and there was nothing (laughs) so I went back to the wires and I started to fidget with them and and see where I'd gone wrong but everything looked right and 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 so I did what any normal person would do I I googled the manufacturer of this company and you know what the first result was that came up on Google a Wikipedia article titled white van speaker scam (laughs) I kid you not have you heard of this thing This is a real thing, it's been going on for decades, it was going on 15 years ago, it's still going on today. Can I read to you an excerpt from this Wikipedia article? To find suitable targets, the van operators set up their con in moderately trafficked areas, such as parking lots, gas stations, colleges, or large apartment complexes. The marks, victims, are usually affluent young people, college students, or others thought to have large amounts of disposable income. And it was at that moment that I realized I got scammed. I got scammed, and and, and the first thing I felt in that moment was just like this deep embarrassment. Like like how could I have been so, so stupid to fall for this trick? And then I thought to myself, well what am I gonna tell Carrie when she gets home that I just wasted 50 bucks on these useless speakers? But then as that passed, you know what I felt? Anger. Anger. I was so mad i was so angry i began to think and plot my revenge (laughs) i began to think how i'm going to take these enormously like heavy speakers i'm gonna throw them at their van and i was just going about i was just i'm gonna get back at these guys because isn't that the way our world works you hit me i hit you back and then some you see we live in an eye for an eye world. This is the way our, our natures are, are disposed. We, we want to get back, but we all know, I think we all know inherently, that if we live into this way, this way of if you hit me, I'm going to hit you back, that if we do this, that that cycle of violence, that cycle of revenge, that cycle of retaliation, uh, none of us will be left standing. It's why one of Gandhi's most famous quotes is an eye for an eye leaves everyone blind. And so as I said earlier, we find ourselves confronted with this teaching from, from Jesus. A really direct, particular teaching from Jesus because Jesus knows that we, broken, insecure, hurting people. What we're accustomed to doing is we are accustomed to living by this script given to us by the world. That when we're wronged, we need to wrong that person back. But what Jesus teaches us is something different, is something better. A better way of of living our lives, a more restorative way a more creative way, a life-giving way. And what Jesus is simply calling us to in this passage is this. Jesus calls us to reject our right to retaliate. That's what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to reject our right to retaliate. And so before we go further and and dive deeper into this passage, here's, here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to get A person in our mind that we have a difficult time loving. Bring that person to mind. Bring that person up in your heart. Maybe it's a person that you want to get revenge against. Maybe it's a person that has hurt you. A person you wanna retaliate against. And bring that person to mind as we dive deep into God's word today. As we are confronted by this teaching of Jesus. And as we encounter it afresh, would he open our eyes to what he would call us to moving forward from this place. And so look at verse 38. Jesus says this. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You've heard that it was said. And so what Jesus is doing here is Jesus is using a pretty standard formula used by rabbis during that time. They would take a portion of Torah and they would start by saying, you have heard that it was said. And so Jesus is using this because Jesus was A rabbi to his disciples and he says you have heard that it was said and and he begins to quote some scripture and he might have had in mind Exodus 21 which says this it says but if there is serious injury then you will give a life for a life eye for eye tooth for tooth hand for hand foot for foot burn for burn wound for wound bruise for bruise might have been thinking about Leviticus 24 Which says, if a man inflicts an injury on his fellow citizen, just as he has done it, it must be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Just as he inflicts an injury on another person, that same injury may be inflicted on him. And so regardless of what passage Jesus was actually thinking of in this moment, what we know beyond a shadow of a doubt is this teaching was in Scripture. God absolutely put this into place. But here's the problem. The problem was that God's people had, over time, twisted this teaching. They, they distorted this directive. They'd, they'd warped this word from God. And here are a couple of ways that they warped it. They warped it by changing the sphere in which it applied. They warped this teaching by changing the sphere in which it applied. You see, God absolutely allowed this policy to exist in the nation of Israel. He meant it. But if you read both of the passages, especially Exodus 21, God set this up in context of judges in Israel administering civil justice. And so this passage in particular isn't meant to uh, apply when we are dealing with interpersonal conflict. Does does that make sense? The two different spheres there? And so so they had misapplied the sphere and this is a very good reminder for us as we read the scriptures, as we encounter God's word, how dangerous it is for us when we take a text and remove it from its context. There's this saying that, that, that goes like this. Maybe you've heard it before. It says, a text without a context is just a pretext for a proof text. <laughs> Which is a clever way of saying, listen, we are predisposed to uh, making something mean what we want it to mean when we remove it from the context where it existed so that's one thing that we need to understand here is, is, is the people of God had warped it by changing the sphere in which it applied. But, but even more importantly, listen, they warped it by regarding it as an obligation and not a limit, okay? They warped this teaching eye for eye, tooth for tooth by by regarding it as an obligation and and not a limit. You know, we've already established the reality that it's in our nature to want to get back at people, right? Like, it's in our nature to want to make things fair, to retaliate, to get justice, to get our revenge. But here's the problem. You you know, you poke me in the eye, and I'm going to punch you in the face, right? (laughs) Right? And if I punch you in the face, you're gonna wanna stab me, right? And it's gonna escalate until neither of us are standing anymore. And you see, God saw this, and this was going on in the nation of Israel at the time, and so in essence, this was put into place to put a limit on justice, so that the punishment would actually match the crime and things wouldn't get out of hand. But the problem was, the people of God had taken this directive, and, and instead of understanding it as a limit to justice, they understood it as an obligation And so if they were insulted by someone, if they were hurt by someone, if they were harmed by someone, they said, I need to get my due, this is my right. They viewed it as their right to retaliate. They viewed this law as their license to give in to what their sinful natures wanted to do in the first place. So they had warped this teaching. And so so what's Jesus' response to this? He says, you've heard that it was said. And Jesus says this in verse 39. He says, but I say to you, do not resist the evildoer. But whoever strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other as well. And so again, this was all part of this formula that rabbis would use. You have heard that it was said, but but, but I say to you. And so what Jesus is doing here is he is expanding our understanding of this teaching. He's deepening it, he's correcting it at this point. He's calling us here to abandon are our messed up understanding of justice. He's calling us to leave behind this sort of jacked up understanding of eye-for-eye style style justice, of of vengeance and violence, and he's he's pointing us here. He's pointing us to something more restorative. He's pointing us to something more life-giving, and it's quite radical, but it's small, it's subtle, and it's simply this, do not Resist the evildoer, that's it. Do not resist the evildoer. And then he proceeds to give us four different examples and illustrations of of what this might look like. The first being whoever strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other as well. Now before we jump into what this kind of radical teaching might look like in our lives practically, what I I wanna do is I wanna spend a brief moment um, addressing what Jesus isn't getting it here. Because this is a pretty complicated topic. This is a pretty complicated situation. And so before we look at what this might look like in our lives on the ground, let's, let's address first what Jesus isn't saying here. And so Jesus isn't saying that abuse and physical attacks shouldn't be resisted. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus isn't saying that abuse and physical attacks shouldn't be resisted, like he doesn't mean that if someone comes up to you on the street and cracks you upside the head with a baseball bat, that you should get up and be like, hey, I think you can do better, try this side now, okay? (laughs) But that's not what Jesus is saying. And and, and more seriously, listen, Jesus doesn't mean that if you find yourself in some sort of abusive relationship that you should keep submitting yourself to that abusive relationship. You leave that, You, you resist that, that's not what Jesus is getting at here. And Jesus also isn't saying that evil in general should never be resisted. Jesus isn't saying that evil in general shouldn't be resisted and we know this because this is, this is the way of Jesus. He constantly was resisting and working against evil. We, we see it in the way that he speaks up and against the, the evil of the religious leaders of his day. We see it very tangibly in that scene when he's in the temple courts and he's flipping tables, the tables of the money changers who were taking advantage of the poor and the foreigners and the marginalized. Jesus is doing that and so listen, when when we see that something wrong is, is going on, when we see that there's abuse or neglect happening in the house next door, when we see that the poor or the marginalized are being taken advantage of, we as the people of God must work against those things. Jesus isn't saying that evil in general should never be resisted, and, and one more quick thing, Jesus isn't saying that there's not a place for punishment and retribution in our society. He's not saying that that should be totally done away with. You know, I think some people might say, you know, the, the best thing to do for someone if they've been caught in a crime and they've been tried and then they've been sentenced, that the best thing to do is let them off the hook. But what we see in the scriptures is that God has set up our governing authorities and given them uh, some level of authority to, to administer justice. And so as the people of God, we should be deeply concerned that, that, that our governing authorities are appointing justice correctly and we should be praying for them. You know, we see in Romans 13 that this is where God allocates authority to them to administer justice. Now, do they do that perfectly all the time? No, <laughs> they definitely don't, which is why we must be praying for them. But Jesus isn't saying, Jesus isn't saying that there's not a place for punishment and retribution in our society. And, and so, so that's what Jesus isn't saying. What I want us to do with the rest of our time now, though, is as we dive in these last few verses, I, I, I want us to really unpack and get at the heart of what Jesus is advocating for here. What does he mean when he tells us to reject our right to retaliate? Well, what does he mean when he says, but I say to you, whoever strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other to him as well. Why is Jesus getting at this right here? And here's, here's why. Here's why I think Jesus is getting at this year, Because the vicious cycle of retaliation can only be broken by voluntary acts of love. This cycle of vengeance and violence and revenge and retaliation that we are so accustomed to living in, not just in our society, but in our own interpersonal relationships with other people, that vicious cycle of retaliation can only be broken through voluntary acts of love. And here's why this is so countercultural and so powerful and so difficult for us to do as followers of Jesus Christ. The reason this is so difficult is because those moments of, of voluntary acts of love, they are so powerful and they are so potent because they happen in situations and moments of conflict where the thing we want to do most is get revenge and get retaliation. You know, look at verse 40. This is a, an example from, from, from Jesus. He says, and if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let them have your coat also. And so what's Jesus, like, what is Jesus getting at here? Because I think this, this sort of example falls on us and we're like, what's a tunic, right? That <laughs> tunic was simply, we'll just call it a shirt, okay? And what Jesus is talking about here is, is this Old Testament law that was set up so that if, if you brought someone to court, and you sued them it protected the person who lost in court so if so if you if you won you could take their tunic but you weren't allowed to take their coat as well back then people dressed in like these layers and typically they only had one set of clothes unless you were like a little bit more well off then maybe you had two sets of clothes but by and large people only had like one set that they lived with And this protected people who lost in court so that if they did, they'd give up that tunic, they'd give up that shirt, but they'd keep their overcoat. And that overcoat was so important because it functioned as like a blanket at night or they could lay it out and sleep on it. It it protected them. And yet, and yet, what does Jesus say here? Jesus is saying that if you you get in a, a dispute with someone, If you get in an an argument with someone, if someone comes at you and they demand your tunic, just go ahead and give them your coat as well. Do you see how counterintuitive that is? Uh, The rejection of our right to retaliate and instead in that moment a voluntary act of love. Love. And so so think about that instance in your life, that that problem with that individual that you might have, that person I asked you to bring to your mind at the very beginning. What Jesus is calling us to do in these instances is to take a potential instance of, of loss, of hurt, of destruction in our lives, and use it and leverage it for the kingdom of God. Take take a bad situation and leverage it for good by turning that moment into a voluntary act of love with the aim of of reconciling that relationship as our goal. Go above and beyond and do the unexpected thing for that person who who, who might seek to manipulate you or, or hurt you in that moment. Why? because that is the sacrificial kingdom of heaven type love that will transform this world. It's the creative, restorative, life-giving act that breaks cycles of vengeance and retaliation and revenge. Jesus gives us another example of this in 41. He says this, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. What's, what's up with this example? What's Jesus alluding to here? Well, remember, Israel is not a free country, right? Israel is under the rule, the oppressive rule of the Roman uh, Empire, and the Roman soldiers didn't just have dominion over the land, they had dominion over the civilians as well, and one of the things they could do, listen, this is really interesting, they could compel any civilian to carry their like pack that they were carrying, but only for up to a mile, yeah? And so imagine it, you're like an Israelite, 2,000 years ago, and you've had a hard week, right? Like, it's it's been a rough week at the office, okay? And you get up on Saturday morning, and then you get the family up, and you're like, we're gonna go to the farmer's market today, okay? And you got your wife, you got your kids, you're going off to the farmer's market, and then all of a sudden, this Roman soldier comes up to you, and he looks at you, and you know what's up and he just takes his pack off and he drops it at your feet. And you give him those eyes, you're like so annoyed in that moment, but he kind of reaches for his sword to show you who's boss. And you pick up the pack. And what do you do as you walk? You walk obviously behind the soldier. And what are you doing as you walk? You're counting every single step, right? Every single step, you're counting it. And you know exactly what one mi- like how many steps one mile is. And the second you get to one mile, you stop and you like drop that pack, like hard enough to show your frustration, but not hard enough to like, you know, get yourself in any more trouble, and you just turn around, and you go back to your family. But the revolutionary thing that Jesus is, is, is trying to get us to, to do here, is he's saying, what if instead you did this? What if instead you took a hold of that situation? and you grabbed that pack and you walked a mile with that soldier, and the second you got to that mile, the soldier would turn around and think, all right, that's it, but instead you, you, you looked at that soldier and you said, hey, Mr. Roman soldier, that first mile, I did it because I had to, but the second mile, I do it because of my love of Jesus and my love for you, let's keep walking. Can you imagine the impact Can you imagine the opportunity for the gospel in that moment? Can you imagine how God could use that one scenario? And so, bring it close to home. Imagine your boss or your supervisor or your coworker, they dump a bunch of work on you at the end of the work week, right? And you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. Not again, right? And what if you took that opportunity, not just to begrudgingly do that work or do it half-heartedly, but what if you did that work as unto the Lord? And what if you not only did that work, but you, you went above and beyond? Imagine the opportunity, imagine the impact, imagine the conversations. In these sorts of situations, what if we stopped looking for ways to retaliate, but instead looked at these instances as opportunities to forgive that person in the moment, and then use that opportunity and leverage it for something good. Use it as a voluntary act of love to take that situation that that person meant against me and leverage it for love. You know, a really interesting thing about verse 41 is that Greek word for the word forces. Here is this word angareouo. You wanna try to say it? You don't have to. It's kind of goofy. this word shows up only one more time in the Gospel of Matthew. Do you, know, do you know where it's at? Do you know where? I do. I did the research on this. Um, it's Matthew 27:32. Matthew 27:32. let me read it to you. As they were going out, they found a man from Cyrene named Simon, whom they forced to carry his cross. A Roman soldier doing what a Roman soldier does, using their power to compel a civilian to work, but this time the civilian wasn't compelled or forced to carry their pack, but this time the civilian was, was compelled or forced to carry the cross of Christ. And you see, we are called every single day to carry this cross, but I think so many of us are under this, this, this misconception that that we can choose when and how and where we carry this cross. We think we have control over this, that, 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 that we can choose when we do this. And we think that this cross is just some sort of ambiguous, deeply spiritual thing in our lives when in reality, this cross is often forced upon us. We are compelled to carry it and oftentimes not by people who have our best interests in mind people who seek to use that situation for their good, for their gain, and for our loss. And in response to these kinds of subtle and small injustices, Jesus says, he says this, listen again, he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two. In essence, right, go the extra mile. King Jesus says in in face of someone trying to defame your testimony or to, 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 to defile the cross, what if instead you didn't retaliate but you responded in love? Why, because only voluntary acts of love will break that vicious cycle of retaliation. And you see Jesus, he didn't just teach this, Jesus embodied this. Jesus embodied this. He submitted himself to the violence and to the vengeance of this world. He bowed his head in the face of an unjust trial and he received upon himself unjust punishment because he knew that the only way, the only way that he would be able to break that cycle of violence and retaliation in our world was through a voluntary act of love and in the greatest act of love once and for all, Jesus chose, he he chose in that moment as as he hung on that cross to reject his right to retaliate. Jesus could have called down uh, armies from heaven and he could have absolutely obliterated his enemies, but what would the world have gained? More violence, more vengeance, more retaliation. You see, Jesus knew that that age had to end. And in that moment, a new age dawned and the world revolted against it. You read the gospels, the earth shook, the sky darkened, the veil tore in two. Why? Because in that moment, Jesus once and for all did away with the age of retaliation and said, listen, no, a new age has dawned. I am the king of a new kingdom. And, and, and by doing that, he, he, he empowers us with that very same spirit to do the same. Because I'm sure so many of you, as, as, you're, as you're listening to this teaching from Jesus, you're like, but that's just, it's not fair. It's not fair. They're gonna walk all over me. And listen, I get that it's going to feel like we are a doormat at times. All I can say is, is that only by the power of God's spirit Can we obediently enter into this calling? I said at the very beginning, this is one of the most challenging teachings of Jesus, and it just sometimes doesn't make sense. like as you recall that person that I asked you to bring to mind at the very beginning, and my prayer and my hope is that God's Spirit has, has been um, bringing to mind ways in which He would ask you to respond and be obedient and, and, and commit voluntary acts of love in the face of a situation where that person has, has done harm to you, has insulted you, has betrayed you in some way. All I can say is that, that it's only by the power of God's Spirit that we are able to move forward and trust that this is the way of Jesus. That this is the way that God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Not through violence, not through power, not through retaliation, but through weakness and sacrifice and giving of ourselves. It's the way of Jesus. Why? Because vicious cycles of retaliation can only be broken by voluntary acts of love. So my prayer and my hope is that this week, God would grant us the humility he grant us the strength, he grant us the creativity to respond in life-giving, regenerative ways of love in those relationships in the days and weeks and months to come. And that through our obedience to this calling of Jesus on our lives, that we would begin to see God's spirit transform those relationships, transform our workplaces, our families, our homes, this church, and that we would begin to see the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, when we're faced with a a tough and challenging teaching from you, uh, it can feel daunting, Uh, it can feel so um, counterintuitive, and this this is absolutely one of those teachings, Jesus. Lord, I I can sense and I can feel um, a heaviness in this room because of the weight of what you've called us to do the weight to carry this cross. And Lord, it seems unfair that that we are compelled, that we are forced to carry this cross in relationships where that other person has has insulted us, they have hurt us in some way. But Lord Jesus, I pray that by the power of your spirit you would help us and you would compel us and, and you would give us the creativity and the strength and the boldness to step into those relationships just as we've stepped into those relationships as peacemakers. God, this comes a lot closer to home because man, there's a lot of hurt in this room. I know that there have been people in this room who are hurt or have been hurting for for weeks, for months, in a relationship, God, where they don't know how this thing gets resolved. And so Jesus, right now, I I just pray that you would give them your peace and that you would strengthen them and that you would compel them to to use whatever situation they find themselves in uh, and and, and love that individual. Lord Jesus, you call us. if someone asks us to go a mile you ask us go the extra mile when we're hit on the cheek to turn the other cheek lord jesus what would that look like practically we pray that your spirit would compel us and help us to see that jesus we thank you for your example we thank you that you have not asked us to do anything that you haven't done yourself and so as we feel weary as we feel weak as As we hesitate toward this move, Lord Jesus, I pray that we would look to you and see what you have done, that you have humbled yourself and that you are now exalted. Lord, would we trust and believe that you will do the same for us in these situations. We trust our lives to you. We give you control. We release it to you, Jesus, and pray this in your powerful name. Amen.